Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Uh, thank you, Ben, for reading that for us and for Crystal Lou for doing a good handoff there. Um, also, uh, thanks for, for leading us in worship, Ben, and uh, also for Nancy leading us and, and Gabe and James and Chantal as well. It's good to, it's good to worship with all of you, as it always is uh, each Sunday. Uh, if you've been with us, then you know that we're in a series in which we're looking at other descriptions that the New Testament provides for us other than the term Christian. Uh, and we're doing that so that we might better understand the ways that, that those who are followers of Christ engage and interact with the world in which they live. And so we've been looking at terms like saints. Uh, last week, we looked at the term uh, of servants. But today, we're going to look at a term which I think everyone desperately needs, but which many of us take for granted, and that is the term of friend. You know, at the most basic level, a friend not only understands you, but a friend receives you and receives you with joy. But further, um, uh, they, that person who calls you their friend is one who remains with you despite adversity. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, human beings, they need to feel understood. They need to be gladly received. And they need to know that in times of adversity, that that friend is going to stay with them. Uh, of course, to be a friend involves much, much more than that, but it's never less. And now studies show that, that for both men and women, friendship in our culture, in our time and place is way down. Uh, over the last 30 years, men, men who say that they have no close friends has risen from 3% to 15%. And women uh, over the last 30 years uh, say that, for those who say that they have no close friends, uh, that has risen from 0% to 10%. And of course, that is uh, painful to hear because we know how isolating lives can be without friends. Uh, but it's also tragic if we understand what Jesus thinks about friends and what Jesus says about, about friendship. Uh, whether you're a man or a woman, Jesus says that the greatest love that there is, is the love of a friend. And Ben very coincidentally referenced John 15, and I'm going to reference it too, because these are the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples um, um, in private, uh, sharing his innermost thoughts and his greatest love. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, 
to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So what we learn from that is that we desperately deed the love of a friend. And what we learn really is that there's nothing like it. Uh, you'll notice as we look at this particular passage that the word friend is never actually mentioned. But what we have here with the story of Zacchaeus is simply a case study on friendship, how one becomes a friend, and the responsibility that comes with being a friend. Uh, it's through friendship with Jesus that we see Zacchaeus's life utterly transform. He goes from being the foe of everyone to a humble friend to all whom he has wronged. Uh, friendship with Jesus is the kind of friendship that changes not just lives, but it changes communities, and it can transform the world. So let's do what this passage uh, calls us to do there in that first couple of verses. It says, behold, Zacchaeus. And so let's look at Zacchaeus and let's understand um, what we can learn about friendship by just simply asking why, what, and how. <laughs> let's look at this passage and see why he runs. Let's look at the passage and see why Zacchaeus, uh, or excuse me, what Zacchaeus receives and how he gives. So why he runs, what he receives, and how he gives. First, why he runs. According to the passage, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but we also see that he had obstacles. So what does he do? He runs, he races, he climbs to, to see Jesus. Now, Contrary to children's Bibles, when we think of this picture of Zacchaeus climbing a tree, um, we tend to think that this is actually a very cute image. But there's nothing cute, actually, about Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. Uh, Zacchaeus wasn't just a little bit self selfish. He wasn't just a little bit stingy. Uh, by being the chief tax collector, Jesus was, or excuse me, Zacchaeus was one who put people out of their homes. In fact, you could say that as the chief tax collector, it's safe to say that he created systems where extortion and bribery readily took place. Uh, this meant he would get wealthy, but he would get wealthy at the expense of others, where others would lose everything. Uh, he created systems where people would spend the rest of their lives under the burden of his tax. So there's nothing cute about Zacchaeus. Uh, in fact, you can simply say he was cruel. Uh, Zacchaeus oversaw a network of cruelty, of corruption. Uh, he wasn't cute, he was cold-hearted, and he would have been a part of a network of similar-hearted people. Uh, but something is going on here, isn't it? With his running, uh, we realize that Somehow, some way, his heart is inflamed. You might say his heart is beginning to thaw because Jesus runs, or excuse me, Zacchaeus runs to Jesus because he sees in Jesus, he's heard something about Jesus that can satisfy a need that's taking place within his own heart. In fact, that's not just true of Zacchaeus, but that's happening to many tax collectors and sinners all throughout Luke's gospel. So you see four times 
leading up to this passage, the, the author Luke notes that sinners, even tax collectors, are running towards God. In Luke 3, we see them flocking to the ministry of John the Baptist. And remember, John the Baptist, his ministry was a ministry of what? It was a ministry of repentance. It was a ministry of turning away from the selfish patterns of your life and turning towards selfless patterns of uh, the selfless patterns, you might say, of God. And in Luke 5, Jesus invites Matthew, the disciple, to follow him. And Matthew was a tax collector. But uh, when he invites him to follow him, what takes place? Matthew throws a party. He throws a party of, of sinners and tax collectors. And it makes you wonder, was, was Zacchaeus at this party? And then in Luke 18, something that happened, uh, Jesus is teaching uh, a group of people, a group of people who were confident of their own righteousness. And he tells them a story about two men. It's a parable about two men who go up to a temple to pray, and one is a Pharisee, which is a, a very religious person, and the other is shockingly a tax collector. And in this parable, Jesus talks about how this religious person is blind to the brokenness of his own life. Uh, it's the religious person in the parable who's proud. It's the religious person who's preoccupied with himself. It's the religious person who looks down on everyone. It's re the religious person who actually has a cold heart. But in the parable, it's the tax collector who's the most self-aware. It's the tax collector whose heart is inflamed, whose heart is alive. He's aware of his, the selfish patterns in his life. And perhaps because of the gravity of his sin, the obvious of his sin, he's his sin is most readily apparent to him. And so he's humbled in that parable. It's the tax collector, not the religious person who's humble. And so therefore the tax collector stands at a distance and he, he beats his breast. Why? Because he knows he's a man in need of mercy. Or to put it in context of this passage, he's a man in need of a friend. See, one of them in that parable is weighed, is weighing his good deeds against his bad. And in doing so, he sees himself in a sense, as acceptable to God. But the other, the tax collector, simply couldn't fool himself with that same rationale. See, he simply wants, he needs, he needs God to be a friend. He, he needs God not just to be sovereign over all of creation. He needs this, this God to be a friend. And John Stott says this, he says, of the two men, the religious person and the tax collector. He says they had different objects of confidence for acceptance with God. The Pharisee trusted in himself that he was righteous, while the tax collector trusted in God's mercy alone. And that is why at the conclusion of that parable, Jesus says, I tell you this, it's that man rather than the other that went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's ask the question, why is Zacchaeus running? Why is he racing? Why is he climbing like a little boy who's des desperately trying to catch his hero at a local parade? It's because the tax collector knew that no amount of bartering could change his past. No amount of, of bartering could make his past disappear. But he runs to see Jesus because he's heard a rumor. 
that there is one who perfectly articulates, who perfectly embodies both the holiness and the mercy of God. And it's on this day, that person looks him in the eye and says, come down out of that, that tree and be my friend. So I think there's just simply two lessons that we can learn. You know, Zacchaeus realized that though he was wealthy, materially, spiritually, he was poor. Now, most of us, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you see yourself as spiritual um, or not, we tend to look at our lives in the same way that the religious person in, the, in that parable in Luke 18 does, that we, we weigh our good deeds and our bad, and we end up coming out on top. But according to the Bible, everyone is spiritually bankrupt. There's no spiritually middle-class people, as Tim Keller says. They're all spiritually bankrupt, and Zacchaeus realizes that, and he's humbled, and that's why he runs for God. So our walk with God will be based on our understanding of our own need. Our, our walk with God will, will be based on our understanding of our need and his mercy. Second, Zacchaeus ran to see Jesus, but because he had obstacles, he couldn't get to him, right? But we need to know this. Because God is your friend, if you're looking for Jesus, he will find you. See, the story is, is, is that Jesus has come into history, not just to pass through your life, but he's come to be seen. He's come to be understood. He's come to, in order to be received as a friend. And nobody is so sinful that he won't receive you. So let me ask the question, do you see him? But also, will you receive him? So that's why he runs. He knows he's in need. He's heard the rumor that Jesus is the mercy of God. So second, what does he receive? Well, I think you can say that he receives everything you'd want to receive from a friend, right? Jesus says, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house tonight. And then Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. But within these two or three verses there in the middle of the passage, we can learn essential elements, important elements to, to Christian friendship. And I think the first thing that Christians need to know, need to live out, uh, is found here uh, in that Jesus teaches us, is that Zacchaeus receives from Jesus grace in the form of truth. Jesus uh, gives to Zacchaeus grace in the form of tr truth. So we don't know ex uh, exactly if Jesus, because of his relationship with the tax collectors, knew to look for Zacchaeus there in Jericho or if his recognition of Zacchaeus was simply just another example of Jesus's supernatural pastoring. But either way, you have to know that when he called out his name, when he looked him in the face, when he picked him out in the crowd, that it must have felt like a miracle for, for Zacchaeus, right? To be singled out, to, to hear his name called. But there's more here than meets the modern reader's eye because when Jesus calls out, his, uh, calls out to him, he doesn't call out to him by sir or mister, or he doesn't call out to him by a particular title like Mr. Tax Collector or Chief Tax Collector, right? What he refers to him as is as his personal name. He refers to him as Zacchaeus, but that's worth noting because Zacchaeus means innocent. 
Zacchaeus means pure. So when he yells out in, in, you know, in public at this parade, he is an innocent one, pure one, to this corrupt man. And with, with that word of truth from Jesus, those in the crowd and Zacchaeus must have heard within his own heart just how far gone, how far removed, uh, how lost Jesus was, or excuse me, how lost Zacchaeus was, which makes sense for us, right? Because at the conclusion of this story, what does Jesus say? He says, I've come to seek and save the what? I've come to seek and save the lost. So Jesus, in effect, is saying, Zacchaeus, I know you've come down this road wanting to see me, but I've come down this road. I've come to earth to see you. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. I've sought, and I'm here to save you from your spiritual lostness. And so shouting his name, he gives him a word of truth. But with the very same sentence, he offers hope in the form of agency. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. He gives him hope in the form of agency. Now, every Christian, Christian who is a friend should be one who is encouraging, who is rooting for the agency of others. What that means is that you're encouraging people to exercise the God-given responsibility that they have as creatures created in the image of God to choose wisely, to make decisions for good. That's part of what it is to be a person created in the image of God, that we've been given the responsibility to steward our lives and our circumstances well. So the role is not for us to tell everybody what to do or to tell anyone what to do and burden and bind the conscience, but through the word of God to prayerfully ask questions, to explore with uh, the person who is your friend, the person sitting across from you, so that they steward their lives, they steward their circumstances faithfully. Because ultimately, all of us are going to come before God, and we're going to answer for our own lives. And so, and ultimately, everybody has to make decisions on their own with a Christian, uh, uh, a Christian friend is one who simply walks alongside them to help them do that faithfully selflessly. And Jesus does that here. He gives them hope in the form of agency. Um, how does he do that? He says, hurry down. I must stay at your house tonight. Now, that's a weird way of inviting yourself uh, into somebody's home. But what, what Jesus is doing is he's providing an opportunity for, for Zacchaeus to make a decision that is honoring to God. He's inviting him uh, into an opportunity to align himself for the first time, you might say, in a very long time, to align him to align himself with God's will. He's inviting Zacchaeus uh, to exercise his agency so that he might serve others rather than serving himself. And Jesus says, "I must come to your house tonight." And what Charles Spurgeon says is that Jesus says this because he desires to be a guest and not an intruder. See, the stakes here for, for Zacchaeus are actually super high because the word that's translated must here 
in the original language in the Greek is often used when referencing the very plans of God. And so Jesus is saying, I'm decreeing as the son of man, I'm decreeing as the son of God, this invitation, I must come to your house. And he's inviting Zacchaeus to use his agency to finally align himself and to receive Jesus. And in so doing, align himself with the will of God. What more could Jesus do as a friend? But to put before him on a golden platter, if you will, an invitation to follow God by receiving him. See, what a friend we have in Jesus, a true friend who goes after you, but who also allows you in pursuing you to pursue him right back. And what we learn here is that Jesus, when, when Jesus pursues you, when he invites you into a relationship with, with him, that he withholds nothing from you, not even his joy. So the third thing that we, we can learn here is not just uh, that Christian friends offer grace in the form of truth, and not just that we offer hope in the form of agency, but we experience joy together in the face of derision. Joy in the face of derision. Zacchaeus received joy when he receives Jesus. It says he receives him gladly. There's joy there. There's, there's uh, bliss. There's, there's laughter. There's relief. There's joy, right? The man who had everything finally has that which he could never steal, that never, he could never purchase. He's both known and he's received by God as a sinner. And of course, there's, there's tremendous relief. There's tremendous joy. It's a gift, right? But what's more is that not only does he receive joy from God, but he's enjoyed by God. Think about that. The joy that is, that is being experienced is mutual. One commentator says that in Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. He says, in Jesus, we have a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. The friendliness of Jesus's heart for us subjectively is as fixed and stable as is the declaration of his justification, justification of us objectively. Now, what does all that mean? It means that Jesus doesn't just save people definitively, begrudgingly but he likes you. He lovingly enjoys you. With Jesus and Zacchaeus, the feelings of enjoyment here are mutual, and it's experienced in the, form, in the face of derision, right? Because as Zacchaeus is experiencing the mercy of God, as he's experiencing the joy of God, people begin to grumble, right? The mercy that God gives to others causes grumbling, to those who are around them, right? And as we often see in the scriptures, it's those who reject Jesus. It's those who reject uh, God's mercy upon the disciples. It's the grumblers who actually truly understand what Jesus is doing. Here they say, look, this man has gone to be a guest of a sinner. 
In other places, the grumblers, the antagonists, they say they grumble because Jesus is the friend of sinners. And Dane Ortland says, this label, the friend of sinners, is, is of unspeakable comfort to those who know themselves as sinners. But it's always contemptible to those who feel themselves not to be in that category. Grumbling, when it comes to Jesus, it always takes place when you think you know how God should act. Or it, or it always takes place when you think you know what God should do. Because God is always going to surprise us. God is always going to be more loving than you. God is always going to be more merciful than you. You're always going to forget how loving and merciful God either has been to you, wants to be to you, or is surprisingly uh, at work sustaining you right now. Grumblers forget that, they, that they're not as wise as loving or as just as God actually is. They think they know how God should act. They think they know what God should do. But grumblers also refuse to believe that true change can take place. Think about that. Grumblers also grumble because we refuse to believe that true change can take place in a person or in a culture. And as we learned the other night uh, during the Bible class, which I'm highly recommending to everybody who has not come, highly recommending that oftentimes when we come to the scriptures, we're in a sense grumblers. Why? Because we presume that we know what God will do, that we presume that the Bible can't actually say anything that's going to enlighten us, nor do we think that our lives will ever change. And so what do we do as we come to the scriptures? We grumble. What do, what do people do when they come before Jesus, who is the word of God come in the flesh? They grumble too. But the friend of Jesus should be one. Think of this, friends. Friends who are Christians should be those who are always ready to be surprised and never give up hope. And when we do that, we're going to experience joy, even in the face of derision. So what do we see? We see um, why Zacchaeus runs. We see what he receives. But now let's see how Zacchaeus transforms. How Zacchaeus changes. Zacchaeus clearly changes, and he changes in a radical way, and it seems like he changes on the spot. You know, there may be more than one miracle that takes place here, right? He becomes one who gives his entire life for others rather than forcing others to give their life for him. And that's expressed in his declaration of just how much he's going to give back. Some uh, of what he's going to give back, he's going to do right now, but the rest of which he'll, he is going to do in some form or fashion for the rest of his life. That's how extravagant this transformation is. Now, if you're anything like me, when you see how radical the change is, how, how huge the return is, how, how much he's going to actually give back, a grumble begins to take place within my own heart. 
I begin to say, that's too much. That's too scary. I don't know that I'm actually prepared to live like that. But you have to remember this. This decision comes as much from conviction as anything else. Does he feel guilty for the way he lives in the healthiest way? Yeah. But more than anything, he feels conviction as one who has been found. Remember, he was lost. And so this joy is coming out of one who has finally gained sight, who's finally gained meaning, who finally sees the world as it was always intended to be. His response is a proper response to somebody who's finally been found after having all these years been hurting people because he was lost. Uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this. He says, you know, the world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues. And there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. And that's exactly what we see with Zacchaeus. He's simply coming to life. And now he's living in light of the fact that Jesus has received him. Now, in some sense, all of this started from a rumor that Zacchaeus heard around the water cooler. Let me ask, how do you talk around the water cooler about Jesus? Do you? Do I? In my neighborhood? How do you talk about about the, the, you know, the ministry of Jesus, the, the love and friendship that you've received in Jesus. I think you can make a case that it was based on a rumor that Zacchaeus heard from his peers, from this network of cruel and cold-hearted people who began to find their hearts inflamed and thawed, that he actually said, I need this too. So out of a rumor, the rumor that he was out there in the world that matched the longing and the hope that he had within his own heart. Now, if the love of God can do that to somebody like Zacchaeus, who's like the Bernie Madoff of his time, how might that love transform you and I? Maybe for the first time, maybe to a new degree. How might he transform those people in your life that you think the possibility of them ever experiencing love and transformation uh, is just impossible, right? That when you think of the transformation of this person or that person, what do you do? You begin to grumble. You begin to lose hope. You begin to think God would never do that. Zacchaeus shows us that Jesus Christ can transform anybody by his friendship. Friends, place yourself in this story. Where are you in this? Do we know the difference between debating with someone about Jesus and leading them to Jesus? Are we able uh, to recognize when the grumble is at work within us? If you think back to the parable, are you a religious person who just thanks God that he's not like other people, those sinners, or... Sometimes when you come before the presence of God, do you beat your chest because, because you know you're not worthy? You know you need grace. You know you need that friendship. Friends, you've been coming to Storefront Church for a year and a half. 
is this a road where you come and you just look at Jesus, but you don't engage him? Is this a place where you stand, sit in a tree, if you will, and ask yourself, is he inviting you to something more? Is he inviting you to come down, to receive and to be received, to experience the joy of friendship with him? You know, that day, Jesus was passing through Jericho. But where was he going? He was going to Jerusalem. What awaited him in Jerusalem? The cross. And what that means is that both men on that day were on that road thinking about salvation. And one person was there to receive it, and the other was there to um, provide it. One person, one their person there uh, desired it, but one person said, I am a good friend, so I'm going to provide it. And the good news is that the cross of Jesus Christ is not just a rumor, it's a historical fact. Jesus died for his friends. He laid down his life for his friends, and he proved that friendship really is the ultimate love, and that he loves you. But what's more, he he can put your sins in the past. He can make you a pure one. He can make you, before the eyes of God, innocent. Just by inviting him in, just by receiving him. See, the rumor of the cross of Jesus Christ is not a rumor. <laughs> it's a true rumor. But it's not just for tax collectors. It's for all of us sinners, me and you. Let's remember the friendship of Jesus as we are called to be friends to people all around us. Let his love in so that we might be transformed, so that we might laugh and embrace, and that the grumble that can take over our lives might diminish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for stories that appear to be children's stories, but actually speak to the very depth of the human experience. Would you help us learn this passage as we invite Jesus further into our lives? We pray all this in his name. Amen.